Hear now a reading from 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 10. You can follow along in your own Bible if you have it with you this morning. There's also a pew Bible in front of you, and it will be projected on the worship screens. We're also kind of an electronics-friendly church, so if you want to pull this up on your phone or iPad through a Bible app, that would be okay too. I want to invite you, as we read God's Word this morning, to really focus your attention on the words um, and to pray for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And if you, if you have any kind of stirring in your heart or mind, if something catches your attention, I would encourage you just to write that down on the first line of the handout uh, that you received when you came in this morning. We call those our Lexio Divina sheets, uh, which simply means sacred reading. And uh, you'll see four steps on the front of that sheet, which will help uh, you learn a very, very ancient way of praying through the scriptures to listen to God's message just for you. I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, so hear the word of the Lord. Then David rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. He had reigned 40 years over Israel, seven years in Hebron, and 33 in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father, and his rule was firmly established. Now jumping over to chapter 3, beginning with verse 3. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place, and Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You, gave, you have continued this great kindness to him, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count the number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have asked, what you, what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
So I wonder who comes to mind for you when you think about the word wisdom. Um, several people come to mind for me, but one of them uh, is my grandmother. Maybe uh, you think, you too think of an older person, maybe an older person sitting on a mountaintop like a guru or relaxing in a comfy chair, uh, teaching wisdom to children. Maybe you think of a teacher that uh, helps you get the most out of school, or a coach on a sports team, or an inspirational historical figure like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi. Older and wiser are often words that are used together to describe the idea of the real wisdom that comes with age and life experience. And this may be true, of course, but real wisdom isn't so much about the quantity of life experience as it is the quality of it and what one has learned in the process. In other words, qualifying for your AARP card doesn't necessarily make you wise, especially if you have failed to take the lessons that have come your way and made important changes in your life as a result. And those lessons usually come in moments not of success, but in moments of pain. They come through hardship. If you know this to be true, say amen. <laughs> Research suggests that there are, in fact, three kinds of wisdom. First, we might call general wisdom, which understands the fundamental pragmatics of life, how life works, right? And, uh, and understands the human condition. And so a very wise person once told me at my last church, um, he said, Mark, people are going to disappoint you. It's not, are they going to disappoint you? It's what are you going to do when they do disappoint you? Because he was really in touch with the human condition. And that was helpful wisdom for me. The second we might call personal wisdom. It's a little more difficult to acquire. And personal wisdom is that which the individual has good self-awareness. They have perspective on themselves, they're honest about who they are, uh, they're, which means they're humble, right? To be humble means to have an honest opinion of yourself. It's not too high and it's not too low, it's rigorously honest. They're honest and they have really good perspective on themselves and they develop healthy ways of dealing with difficult circumstances. And by healthy ways, I mean ways in which they move through those circumstances without self-destructing in order to learn important lessons to help them become even more self-aware, more strong, and more like Jesus. They also, uh, because they are self-aware and they're in touch with their own pain, um, they also are really good at understanding and empathizing with the circumstances of others. And so if you know wise people, uh, they're often really able to connect with us at a deep level, and we feel really understood and heard. And then finally, uh, there's a wisdom uh, in the realm of self-transcendence. This helps people um, to really get in touch with a, with a reality that is greater than themselves, with the spiritual world, with God. Um, and 
develops in people who are spiritual and have an abiding connection not only with God, but with past and future generations. And so this ability of self-transcendence allows them to get out of their own head and, and above their own life and to see a bigger picture with God at the center. And while general wisdom would seem to be relatively easy to cultivate as we live life, we just kind of have to figure out how things work, right? I mean, we do know people who move through life and they age and they, for whatever reason, because of a recalcitrant heart or because of, uh, of an in a, a basic inability to be honest with themselves, they don't change very much and it's very hard for them to figure things out. But, but most people just in living life kind of figure out how things work uh, and they get in touch with human condition and they acquire this kind of general wisdom. But personal and self-transcendent wisdom require much more of the person. It requires an extended, somebody say extended, long, it is a long process, an extended process of learning and practicing, and integrating and becoming more aware of what's going on in yourself and in the world. And many of us know that much of this learning comes through the experience of hardship, which compels wise people to rethink how themselves and the world. The hard truth about wisdom is that it comes at a price, often a high price. But once it is gained, it is truly priceless. Now, while we used to think of hardship itself as the, as the product of external circumstances like tragedy, grief, or pain, there is another kind of hardship that helps us to become wise. And I'm talking about the hardships that come from living a life that diverges from conventional wisdom. Living a countercultural life by following Jesus, who calls us to a narrow way, the way of the cross, the way of self-denial. And this kind of hardship can even be more difficult than that of tragedy or loss because it's not something that's forced upon us. It's something that we are called to freely choose for ourselves. Jesus says, those who want to follow me, come, take up your cross. It's a free choice. And I believe that this is the kind of wisdom that Solomon had to learn in our Scripture reading this morning. It's a kind of wisdom that is divinely given, that's true, but it's also a kind of wisdom that must be lived out in obedience to God on the road to self-sacrifice. Now, God, of course, is the author of wisdom and wants to give all of us wisdom, but it's the kind of wisdom that doesn't come with shortcuts. And I don't know about you, but I'm always looking for a shortcut. Have you ever been through a really painful time and then you go and look for a book that after you read the book, you can close it and go, oh, now I'm better. It fixed me. 
or go to a counseling session and sit before a therapist and you think that after one therapy appointment uh, with a counselor or, or, or a spiritual director that, that you're just going to walk out and you're going to be okay. Like, that's what we want, right? But the fact of the matter is that the, the kind of wisdom that comes from God, cannot, we, we can't receive it if we take shortcuts. And Adam and Eve, in contrast, they listened to the shortcut of the snake that was offered to them in Genesis 3, preferring to obtain divine wisdom of good and evil by just eating a magic piece of fruit rather than receiving wisdom and experiencing it through an intimate relationship with God. So they would have to learn wisdom the hard way, as many of us do. And in fact, we have been having to learn wisdom the hard way ever since. And that's what makes Solomon's request of God in 1 Kings 3 so interesting to me. I want you to imagine uh, God coming to you in a dream when you were, say, in your late teens or early 20s. Now, for some of you, that's easier than others. <laughs> but I want you to imagine God coming to you when you were a very young person and offering anything that you might ask. And the chances are, at least in my case, wisdom would probably not be on the list. <laughs> Solomon, however, recognizes that he is young and that he doesn't have the experience of his father, David, to rule the people of Israel. And so he asks God to give him, and I quote, an understanding mind to govern the people, to discern between good and evil. Prior to asking God for this unique kind of understanding, the Bible says that Solomon loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of his father David. And in this way, he acquired what we might call general wisdom, something uh, reflected in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I could preach a whole sermon on that. I'm actually listening to a book called Renovation of the Heart by a guy named Dallas Willard right now, and he's been talking a lot about what does it mean to have fear of the Lord in spiritual formation. But David had the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning, not the end, but the beginning of wisdom, and he was able to receive the general wisdom that was passed on to him from his father, King David. He also had some conventional wisdom. Wisdom that he learned uh, through the world, which is indicated in his participation in some common royal practices back then, including marriage alliances between kingdoms and uh, sacrificing in high places, which, as we read the book of Kings, 1 Kings, we see has echoes of Canaanite worship and idolatry, which we'll come back to later. But what he didn't have was the experience necessary for personal wisdom and self-transcendent wisdom that comes through a long life of obedience to God. The kind of wisdom that comes from navigating hardships and integrating their lessons into one's overall life in close relationship with God. The kind of wisdom that Solomon needed and asked for, the kind of wisdom that only God can give, is contingent upon him learning the lessons in his hardships and applying them in his life over time. And that's the difficult part, isn't it? You guys awake? 
That's the difficult part, isn't it? In other words, in order to acquire the kind of wisdom that would make his reign as king long and effective, Solomon would need to continue to maintain a particular way of life that demonstrated godly wisdom, especially when he encountered difficulty. Which is when faithfulness to God seems to count the most. It's the kind of wisdom that must be lived out day by day. And if you don't use it, you lose it. And so, if this is true, if divine wisdom is gained by experience, particularly by experience with hardship, then this means that it is also the product of recognizing that walking in obedience to God is much more difficult than walking in step with the world. It is much more difficult to live in obedience to God, to follow Jesus, than to just follow the ways of the world. So, before we set out for this kind of wisdom, we should count the cost. And Jesus tells us as much because He says that those who want to follow Him shouldn't begin until they think it through all the way to the end and know what it's going to require. He says, for who would begin construction on a building, or if we applied it to today, who would start construction on a rocket, (laughs) without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? We would love for God to impart all the wisdom that we need in a flash of insight. We would love a shortcut, but it just doesn't work that way. It takes time. It requires a willingness to take the road less traveled, the willingness to deviate from conventional wisdom, to do things that the people around us who are following the ways of the world think are crazy. It takes an openness to self-sacrifice and a willingness to endure hardship. And it takes a willingness to stay close to God and to prayerfully learn and integrate the lessons that come through the pain. And there are always lessons that come through the pain. I just want you to think about your own life. Some of the greatest insights, some of the deepest points of self-awareness, some of the greatest strength, and certainly the most radical change in my life has taken place as I have navigated situations that I thought might kill me. Do you know what I'm talking about? I won't go into this, but you guys have heard me tell the story of when, and I'm going to cry because my son is here. (laughs) When I went through my divorce and Jackson and his mom moved to North Carolina and I was separated him for the first time, I felt like my bed was my coffin. I couldn't get out of bed. I thought it was going to kill me. But it's in those times that we are compelled to draw close to God. Because if we don't, we won't survive it. Right? And so, it's so important for us as we go through the difficult times to remember that it's not for nothing. There is a purpose to our pain. That God is working through those situations. And I'm not saying that God causes them all. 
Sometimes people make really bad decisions that we don't have any control over that deeply hurt us and wound us. And I do not believe that God causes all of our pain. But I do believe that God is at work in us as we suffer, bringing about redemption. Has anybody experienced redemption and healing? Right? And so, we have to be willing to stay in the pain. To not numb out with drugs or alcohol or entertainment or distractions and consolations. We've got to find a way to stay in the pain and to say, I'm not running away from this. I'm going to stay in it. I'm going to find Christ at the center of my heart. And I'm going to wait patiently upon the Lord until He shows me what is it that I have to learn. Because I'm going to tell you, friends, in my experience, if you don't get the lesson the first time, God will give it to you a second time and a third time and a fourth time. And you will eventually feel like God's trying to kill you. but he's not he's trying to crucify your ego he's trying to get you to surrender your life 100% to him so that he can make something beautiful out of the mess that you've made it says in Proverbs to lay aside immaturity and live and walk in the way of insight. Which is to say that following God's way often requires a painful no to the ways of the world that are attractive, easy, and very well trodden. The road to wisdom is often a difficult path. A lesson that Solomon had to learn the hard way. Do you remember what happens to him as king? If you read the story of the Old Testament, you'll know that Solomon's God-given wisdom was seen in his judgment. Right? Uh, such as his mediation of the conflict between two prostitutes in 1 Kings chapter 3. It was also evident in his administrative skill in managing Judah and Israel toward prosperity and in the building of a grand temple. While some scholars uh, question whether or not Solomon wrote Proverbs, others assume his authorship and point to it as a demonstration of his wisdom. And in the Bible, it says that his wisdom was widely known in the Mediterranean world to the point that people came from all nations to hear from him. And yet... Somebody say, and yet. <laughs> and yet, by 1 Kings chapter 11, things go tragically wrong with Solomon. The wisdom that God had put in his mind that had made him famous had failed to translate into action, and Solomon instead lived out the conventional wisdom of kings in the ancient Near Eastern world gathering up riches and chariots and wives to solidify his reign. These were things that God Himself had warned potential kings about back in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Money, sex, and power being the conventional desires of the world instead of God's wisdom contained in self-denial and faithfulness. 
All of Solomon's God-given wisdom couldn't keep his reign from going sideways in a hurry, devolving into idolatry, threats from outside the kingdom, and civil war from within. Solomon's empire would be shattered with only a remnant left for his son. And all of this happened because Solomon failed to apply the wisdom he had been given and to walk the hard road of obedience through the fiery trials of life. just want to say that again because it's important. All of this happened because Solomon failed to apply the wisdom he had been given and walk the hard road of obedience through the fiery trials of life. Friends, some of the wisest people in the world tend to be those who have endured hardship and lived through it. Learning from their experiences and imparting that learning to others. Those who are even wiser, however, endure the hard way of following God despite the pressures of the world. The way of self-denial, sacrifice, and standing in the truth when everybody around you has lost what truth means. They, in turn, help others along the way, nurturing and guiding them along with God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit, lighting their path, finding their next step. Personal wisdom, importantly, is never developed in isolation. There has never been an isolated wise person. Even people who go off and live in caves or in monasteries and they seem to be isolated, they're not isolated. They have communion with God. They have communion with other people. And there are people that are coming to them that they are interacting with as they share their wisdom. You just can't gain personal wisdom, which includes self-awareness, right? which, which includes knowing really who you are and what your strengths and, and, and weaknesses are. In seminary, instead of weaknesses, they had the kind of PC term, growing edges, right? So what are your strength and growing edges? Um, but in the biblical tradition, it's not only knowing your strengths, it's knowing where your sin is, where your temptations are, where your brokenness lies. And, uh, and the wisdom that comes through self-transcendence requires constant awareness and a nurturing relationship with God that is best encouraged and lived out in community with others who were seeking the same wisdom. There are a lot of people who say, I'm spiritual but not religious. And what they mean is they like to read spiritual things, but they don't want to come to church on Sunday morning. And, and many, many times because they're suspicious of organized religion. And guess what? For good reason. <laughs> We've often messed it up, guys. We haven't always set a great example, right? But, but it, is, it is a myth of American culture, the myth of individualism, that we can somehow become the person God created us to be in isolation from others all by ourselves, or that we can somehow acquire wisdom by going off by ourselves and not having the input of others. But it's just not true. We need to surround ourselves with people who share our values. People who are also seeking wisdom. People who are committed as we are to living a countercultural way of life by following Jesus. The way of the cross. 
People who are committed to being obedient to God, especially when life becomes difficult. When, when your life goes sideways, the worst thing you could do is surround yourself with people who don't share your values, who are going to encourage you or give you permission to act in self-destructive ways, to turn away from God and to do the thing that you might want to do in your brokenness, but that you know in your relationship with Jesus is just not the right thing to do. You need people, you need brothers and sisters there by your side, bearing you up, calling out your best self and saying, we got to do this the right way. It's going to be hard, but I'm here for you. We all need friends. We can't do it alone. And too often we try and inflict a lot of unnecessary suffering upon ourselves. We cannot live the kind of life that is required of us to attain wisdom without support from friends and a community of faith that are seeking the same thing. And this is probably a major reason why Solomon failed. Because he did not intentionally surround himself with the right people. With others who were seeking the same and my friends in recovery know this very well. When you're trying to get sober from drugs or alcohol, you can't hang out with drunks. They will pull you down. And the same applies when you're following Jesus. If you're trying to follow Jesus and you hang out with people who are just pursuing the ways of the world and their own selfish agenda and the, and the next exciting thing to make them feel good, to distract them from the sadness that they feel, there's a good chance they're going to pull you down with them. And it's a balance, right? I mean, we have to be nurtured early in the faith and build enough strength so that we can re-enter into those spaces and share our testimony and help people, but we have to be very, very careful and very honest about the level of our internal strength, the strength of our own faith. Right? We need to be surrounded by good people. So, in closing, I just want to ask, where are you this morning? Are you asking God for wisdom so that your hardships can be transformed into a pathway of peace? There's no doubt in my mind that some of you are going through difficult times right now. A lot of us are. The whole world is. We're in a global pandemic. The question is, as you navigate those hard times, are you praying? Are you regularly saying, God, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me to figure out how do I move through these challenges so that our hardships are not for nothing. I mean, if you don't learn the lessons and you keep getting it over and over again, I mean, that's the definition of insanity, right? You are going to feel like you're being killed. You are going to feel like you're banging your head against a wall. That's not what God wants. God wants you to learn the lessons so that the pain can be transformative for your good. And we know because the Bible tells us that God works all things. Somebody say all things. God works all things. Every single breath you take, everything that you experience, God finds a way to get in it, under it, through it, with it, to work for your good. And to fulfill His purposes in your life. Who is with me this morning? Have we forgotten? 
Are you committed, especially in the midst of your pain? Are you 100% committed to staying close to Jesus and to remaining obedient to God in the midst of the trial, the tribulation, the suffering, and for some of you, the trauma? Some of us have experienced trauma that we haven't even fully acknowledged. Even, are we, are we committed to staying close to Jesus? Even when the source of our suffering is the result of following Jesus. Is the result of picking up your cross and following Him. Taking the road less traveled. Who? Who in your life is helping you discern God's wisdom? Do you have wise friends? Do you have a group of people that you meet with that you really trust them and they really know you? And they can't know you unless you tell them who you are and become vulnerable. I met together with a group of people yesterday and was flabbergasted by the level of vulnerability. People opening up and sharing things about themselves I had no idea. And I thought, how beautiful. Because now I can pray for that person. Now I can reach out to that person. Now that person can get more support and help. Who is in your life that is helping you not to numb out, not to run away, not to avoid your problems, right? But to face them squarely and to stay in them and to figure out how to move forward in wisdom. Do you have friends, Christian friends, to help guide you along the way and also keep you accountable because if you're anything like me, you're a little flaky when it comes to following Jesus, right? We need people to say, hey man, I see you going off the path. And I always tell my friends, if you love me, you'll tell me when you see me going off the path. Because sometimes I have blind spots and, I, and you see it before I do, I need you to tell me. To whom, the final question, to whom are you imparting God's wisdom? Who are you helping? Because it's not only receiving for our own benefit and enjoyment, it's receiving so that we might share with others. That's just the logic of creation, the way that God has put it together. And so it's not just for you. God's giving it to you to heal you, to help you, to take you through the hard times, to resurrect you from the dead. And when you get up off of the floor, who are you pouring into? Who are you sharing your wisdom with? These are important questions. It doesn't matter how old you are or at what stage in life you happen to be. God offers wisdom to everyone who asks for it and is willing to walk it out in the real world in obedience to God. The way of wisdom is not easy. But it is ultimately the way that leads to real, abundant life. And that, my friends, is the good news of the Gospel this morning. Thanks be to God. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Mark, and I want to thank you for listening today. I also want to thank First United Methodist Church of Cocoa Beach 
the faith community I am honored to serve and that helps make this ministry possible. If you are being blessed by these messages, I invite you to support the mission of Jesus through the efforts of our church by making a donation. Simply go to our website, www.fumccb.com, and click on the link that says Give. I also hope that you will explore other parts of our website and connect to other ministries like online worship and Bible studies. If you feel more comfortable, you can also mail a donation to the church office at 3300 North Atlantic Avenue, Cocoa Beach, Florida, 32931. We sincerely appreciate your support as we try to help people who are struggling and need to hear good news. Again, thanks for tuning in today, and may God bless you.